Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Turntables and Tea. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And this week, we'll be visiting the Houses of the Holy, created by Led Zeppelin. This was Corey's pick by a truly legendary band. Uh, to put it lightly, this is one of the biggest bands of all time. And uh, there's a lot to discuss. So because you picked the album like we did with Rush, I'm going to let you introduce this album to the listeners out there. All right, all right. Uh, House of the Holy, it's, it's near and dear to my heart, but uh, it's the fifth studio album by Zeppelin. Uh, it was released on the 28th of March in 1973 under Atlantic Records, and this was Zeppelin's final studio release on Atlantic Records before they formed uh, Swan Song Records, which was their own label in 74, which was still distributed by Atlantic, but it was their own label for them. It was intended for release in January of 73, but delays in producing the album cover meant that it was not released until March, and that was when they were already out on their 1973 European tour. Because much of the album had been recorded almost a year previously, many of the songs that we get to go over today were featured on the road throughout North America, Japan, Europe, and the UK in 72 and 73. It came out to some pretty mixed reviews and a lot of criticism from uh, the music press being directed at its offbeat nature and tracks such as The Crunch and Jamaica. <laughs> uh, actually, Gordon Fletcher from Rolling Stones called the album one of the dullest and most confusing albums he had heard that year, believing that they had gone from this epitome of everything good about rock to a watered down heavy metal act, which I can see the shock value in it, but we'll talk more about that later. However, the album was a great commercial success, topped the UK charts and spent 39 weeks on the Billboard 200, including two weeks at number one. Yes. And it was number four on Billboard top albums of 73 at the year end chart. And then as far as sales go, you, you got numbers on that? Well, I know in the U.S. the album was certified diamond, which means 10 million copies shipped. Wow. Wow. So That's amazing. And they, they went that. gold and platinum all over the place, though. Like gold in Argentina, two times platinum in Australia, two times gold in France, gold in Germany, gold in Spain, platinum in the UK. You say one of the biggest bands. That's that's the real deal. I was not joking about that. Yeah. Albums sold everywhere. And even though this came right after their highest selling album, of course, Led Zeppelin Four, we all know that's the highest selling, I would think. It wasn't yeah. as big, but admittedly, at no album after this one sold as well either. Really? See, I, I didn't look on to physical graffiti or coda, um, but I could see. I, well, graffiti did all right, but it was also a double album. Gotcha. So that makes a bit of a difference. And presence and in through the outdoor definitely didn't do as well as this one. Yeah, graffiti was never my favorite. That's my start of the hot tea takes today. I was never big on that, in my own words, that 80s synthesizer sound that they put throughout it. I, I just I thought it was way too heavy on uh, on John Paul Jones and the keys and it just wasn't my fave. That's not the album we're talking about today. <laughs> well, it does connect for me personally. So when I was in about eighth grade, it was early in that year that I first heard Stairway to Heaven on the radio, actually. It's surprising. I was 13 when I first heard it, considering it's such a well-known song, but that's what happened. 
And I thought this was a cool song. I heard a few others by the band and I got the Mothership CD, which was released in 2007, which is a two disc CD set of Zeppelin's greatest hits, you could say, even though they weren't really a singles band. But some songs are definitely more well-known than others and Mothership collected most of them. The first disc covered the first four albums while the second disc covered Houses of the Holy all the way to In Through the Outdoor. And uh, I greatly, in all capital letters, greatly preferred the first disc to the second one. Heard that? You like that grittier sound that they were doing in one through four? Yes, I think that was just more suited to them. And so the second disc, I just never went back to. I really wasn't interested in going into it. And that, unfortunately did start with half of the songs from this album. So my first impression of this wasn't the greatest because I thought, well, it's a little different from what they were doing before. And so, well, I couldn't help but feel a bit underwhelmed by this. But coming back to it now, my tunes changed a bit. I still am not as big on this too of Mothership. I re-listened to it. But the Houses of the Holy portion is quite strong and... They did pick the best songs from Physical Graffiti, at least. But beyond that, it's a little more uh, hit or miss, in my opinion. And I don't think this is their best album, like you do, and some others do. But this is a strong album, and I've come to appreciate it more than I did before, which I'm happy to say. It was tough for me to find new factoids about this album that I didn't know before. Now knowing stuff like uh, Paige and John Paul Jones having their own studios in their house while they were doing this, it really makes sense on the almost avant-garde take. And then Bottom really trying to go into different genres like doo-wop or reggae and, and touching on those tones as well. Stuff that I had never put together while I was listening um, back in the day so many times, but it's super interesting on its own right. Yeah, this was a bit of a difficult one to research because over the years, this band has been so extensively researched. There are hundreds of books about this band and unauthorized documentaries, but they repeat a lot of the same facts. And there isn't that much new to add to it, really. Yeah, yeah. As I mean, one of the big pieces, and, and we might as well go ahead and, and talk about it now, is the cover for this album. It was one that I, at a young age, almost felt guilty taken out of the uh, of the vinyl collection of my pops because, you know, it showed bare naked butts of children climbing these stairs at, at Giants Causeway in Northern Ireland. It was a cool album cover. I always thought it was cool. And it was something that would become a staple on my walls throughout my extensive blacklight area of my teenage years but I got to find out some new stuff about this one too that wasn't the original or the first take that I believe the publishing house or the people that were taking care of it the photographers were under hypnosis h-i-p-g-n-o-s-i-s and one guy the first guy had sent an electric green tennis court with a tennis racket and it was literally a visual pun that their music sounded like a racket and the band fired him and then hired Powell, who did the cover that we know and love to this day. In the U.S., it actually had a wrapper around it because, you know, they, well, you might not know, but the band wasn't big on putting their name or, you know, of course, titles because one through four on the albums. Uh, the U.S. 
release of this had like a paper wrapper with some uh, with the Led Zeppelin logos on it. And I always I tried to find it and I thought that was because it was a risque cover. Maybe I'm thinking too much into it, but I figured, you know, like dirty magazines out of rural farms or out of 7-Eleven have that cover over half of it. I, yes. I, that's immediately what I thought of. I know exactly what you mean. It is a bit of a risque cover, but I'm thinking they might have just wanted to let people know it was Led Zeppelin, too, because they didn't want to uh, ruin the cover. I mean, Zeppelin 4 is technically untitled. It's called Led Zeppelin 4 because it followed Led Zeppelin's one through three. Yeah. So you got to give it a title, guys. Come on. <laughs> they concentrated too much on the music. Nobody had time for a title. <laughs> I do have a hot take about the cover, actually. I want to hear it. The cover for the 2014 Deluxe Edition in blue is better than the orange one. Ooh, 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 man, I'm so mad at you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but no, I have to disagree on that one. I love that orange color for me. I respect your opinion, but that is a hot take between us. Yeah, that's my tea. I just like blue better than orange. It's really that simple. I'm, I'm a naturalist. I'm going with the original cover. It's it's burned in my memories. In fact, in all honesty, I'd never seen, it's so funny that, that you brought that up. I'd never seen the re-release cover until I was going through and it popped up on Spotify. I was like, what is this? And there's some cool takes on there. It's just, if anybody hasn't heard it, it's, House of the Holy with a bunch of extra takes, almost like when Beatles did their re-release and stuff like that. Just some added extras for you, some different ways it could have gone. But yeah, I'd never seen that blue cover before. It's funny you say that. I don't think any of the alternate versions are better than the originals. No, 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 no. But <laughs> I like the cover more. That's just my opinion, though. So, and you know what they say, opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one. <laughs> it's the basis of this podcast. <laughs> yes, it is. And now, with that being said, are you ready to take a visit deeper into these houses? Yeah, let's check them out. Let's see what's holy about these houses. So track number one is The Song Remains the Same. This one was originally written as just an instrumental overture by Page. But Robert Plant liked it so much, he said, we need to add some lyrics to it. So that's what happened. And it has a message about how music is a universal language, which I greatly appreciate. And of course, this song was used as the title for Zeppelin's 76 concert film, meaning it will always be ingrained in music history. Most definitely. I like this song. I think it's a good opener to the album but there's much better to come, in my opinion. Agreed. Uh, it's a great opener. Um, we get to hear Paige on, you know, his electric 12-string, and then playing a few tracks with the six-string behind it as well. When they did this live, if you've never seen Zeppelin Live or you've never seen the song Remains the Same, Jimmy Page has this beautiful double-neck red Gibson EDS uh, 1275. And he and he uses that for this when they do it live. It's the same one you usually see it on like Stairway if you, if you see him and performing Stairway. But it's the same one, and he used that live, which I've seen in person. I've seen on Song Remains the Same. It's mind blowing how he plays this live. <laughs> so, are you saying you've seen Paige live in person? Oh yeah, I've seen three incarnations. I've seen. My first concert ever was the last day of eighth grade in 95. Rusted Root, who I hadn't I had no idea who they were, were opening for Page and Plant's No Quarter Tour. 
which was them with a Middle Eastern symphonic orchestra. And it was phenomenal. Sounds uh, that, awesome. That was the first time I had ever seen the boys. I have goosebumps right now. Uh, the second time I seen them is Blurry in the Brain. It's either when Mothership, it was either the Mothership tour or just a straight up random tour. Because my favorite time I saw him, Jason Bonham was playing drums and the bass player from The Cure was playing with them. And it was just a four piece and it was phenomenal. I, I mean, I got to see Jason Bonham do Moby Dick, which is bucket list checkoff right there. I've seen them a bunch and I've seen him with the Black Crows. I saw him with the Black Crows by accident. I'm going off on a wild tangent. I've seen Jimmy Page play with the Black Crows when I was out on Fish Tour. We ended up at a Black Crows concert and boom, here's Jimmy Page playing with them. No, I'm glad I know because when you talked about having seen Led Zeppelin, I thought, well, I don't think many people currently that we know can say they had the opportunity because the band hasn't really officially toured as Led Zeppelin since John Bonham lost his life in 1980, unless you yeah. were at the O2 Arena for Celebration Day in 2007. No, I wish. I wish. That would have been insanity, but no, that was all local. The old Cap Center, which I don't even know if it's it still no standing. Longer exists. Yeah. That's where I saw No Quarter. And then the other two times I saw him was down at the arena. The band's members have stayed active throughout the years. Like we said on the last podcast, Robert Plant was on tour this year with Alison Krauss, and I'm sad I missed it. Yeah, yeah. I, I tried to find live versions of that because you were saying they did Battle of Evermore to no avail. So if anybody out there has any live recording of, of those shows, send them on through. I would love to enjoy that. Yes, please do. M me as well. But enough of the tangent. <laughs> on to the next track two. What do we got? The Rain Song. This song has an interesting backstory in its own right. George Harrison, Beatle, Guitar God, told the band, you guys never do any ballads. So Jimmy Page responded by writing a ballad. He even quoted the chords of something in the beginning of this song. And that's the only similarity it has to something. Other than that, it goes off in a whole other direction. What do you think of this one? I love this one. Uh, I love the string section inside of here, which I found out was John Paul Jones playing it on a Mellotron. This is one of my favorites. This is a very romantic song to me, more so because, again, most of my memories of this album are rooted in the teenage years uh, when I really dove into it. So there, there's something super romantic about Rain Song, and it's very soft, you know? It's something that you don't expect when you pick up a Zeppelin album and something that I enjoy to this day. Yeah, I like the Rain Song. The lyrics are very romantic. You're correct about that. And just the overall sound is beautiful. It definitely is. Definitely one of my favorites. And I think this was a precursor to them doing some softer stuff in the future. Stuff like All My Love. Great song, by the way. I don't know if they would have gotten there without the Rain song. It, it's akin to Thank You, if you're familiar to Thank You as well. You know, they're, they're romantic jams. In my foggy brain, I for some reason thought Thank You was on this album when we were diving into it. I was like, where, where is Thank You? But I think it's because, if I'm not mistaken, Thank You was on the Page and Plant No Quarter album, which I equate to this one. In that era, again, when a young man obsessed with zeppelin at that point clearly <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i studied page for close to two years uh just studying his blues guitar and the way he played so 
obsessed is, is an understatement. Yeah, you don't have to be a music expert listening this to hear why Jimmy Page is a guitar god. His playing is otherworldly, to put it lightly. It is indeed. Truly, indeed. yes, truly a one and only Jimmy Page. Before we move on from it, I want to mention another band briefly. Heart is a band that has done many, many Led Zeppelin covers. They do Zeppelin covers at every show they perform, actually. Really? Yes. The most frequent one they do is Stairway to Heaven. One, because it's a signature, and two, because they performed it for Led Zeppelin when they got a Kennedy Center honor, and that was amazing and a really well-known performance to this day. Now, when I saw Heart, they didn't do any songs from this album, but they have done them in the past. I was curious as a Heart fan, did they cover songs from this album? And sure enough, they did several. And one of them was this song. They performed it at a Bridge School benefit in 2013. And it's a beautiful rendition, in my opinion. Ann Wilson's voice is awesome, as usual. And Nancy Wilson is a beast on the acoustic guitar. She plays it beautifully. Just one of many awesome performances from Heart. That's one of the covers I wanted to highlight on this episode. It's almost as long as the original, but not quite. It is on YouTube. Check it out. I really enjoyed finding that performance. That's cool to know that they do a Zeppelin cover at every show. Have, which ones have you, because you've seen Heart a bunch, right? Only once. Oh, only once. Okay. I thought you'd seen them more than once. No, my mom has seen them more than once, but I've seen them just the one time. And the other one they did, if I'm not mistaken, was Rock and Roll. Also a classic. I'm not going to fault ever hearing that one. That's one of my favorites by them, too. One of everyone's favorites, I would think. Heck yeah. So I'm not heartbroken that I didn't, no pun intended, that I didn't hear a song from this album because the songs they picked were perfectly fine. But I just liked to look into that as a fan of that band as well. And those ladies are very outspoken admirers of this band. Yeah, that Kennedy Center honors is phenomenal. That one of the, I'll never forget that. That was so slick. Oh, yeah. And of course, it moved the band greatly because why wouldn't it? It's Ann fucking Wilson, part of my French. <laughs> no, you're good. Heard that. That's real. Yeah, I can't wait for Hart to uh, rejoin forces next year for their 50th anniversary. I hope they do like they said they would, because I would love to see them again. Hell yeah, I'll join you for that one. Yes, and I'm sure my mother will too. It'll be a party for all. There you go. Seeing there the Wilson go. sisters, and they'll take on at least one Zeppelin song, I'm sure. We'll, we'll, we'll gamble on which one it is. <laughs> I think I know which at least one of them they'll do, but <laughs> after the rain song, enough of that tangent, we have Over the Hills and Far Away. This is more of a straight ahead rocker. It starts off more acoustic, but then explodes. So this song is a song I heard many times when I was working at Wise Markets over a year ago. I got a job there during the pandemic because I needed something to do. Everything was closed and I stayed for a while even when my other job reopened. And for a while they played the classic rock station and this was one of the songs in frequent rotation and it was always cool to hear, but it's better to hear it in the context of the sound because when you hear a song at the grocery store, you can't really appreciate the artistry behind it. 
because you're at the grocery store. Yeah, that's another thing. And I, I didn't touch on it, but I, I said when we were talking about Book of Dreams, this is another great album. We're in that stereo recording era to pop on a, a set of really nice headphones and relax and really get down and listen to this song. Definitely worth it. Over the Hills and Far Away for me was a staple in my early guitar playing. I started playing on a nylon acoustic and the hammer on that opens up this song was not only something that I worked on constantly, but something that my friends always love to hear. So this one I, I played for, for people for many, many years. Definitely up there, one of my top zeppelin songs of all time this one has a a huge nostalgia berry in it for me um i'll never forget this song no and many others haven't because like i said if it's played at the grocery store it's continued to be played on classic rock radio and it was the first single from the album in the u.s the band never released singles in the uk i was gonna ask you is there a because i feel like that is something that we've seen on talk in talking about other albums is there a strategy or reasoning behind not doing UK singles? Or doing just UK singles? Oh, yeah, or both. Yeah, yeah. Because we've seen both of that. For Zeppelin, I think it was simply that it was their homeland and they wanted to sell as many albums as possible there. Gotcha. In the US, they really didn't release many singles. The most any album had were two, maybe three, if I'm mistaken, but I'm pretty sure it's just two. And this was the lead single when it made it up to 51 on the Hot 100. But this is one of those bands like Rush where the charting positions really don't matter that much because they're not a top 40 band. They weren't going for that. I mean, some of their contemporaries like the Beatles and the Stones, they made music a bit more for the top 40 and reached the top of the charts multiple times. Zeppelin wasn't really into that. They did have a few top 40 hits. One made it to the top 10, but that wasn't what they were going for. And they weren't even the most extreme example of that practice. Yeah, staying with the romantic style of this first side too, it's a great, the way it opens up acoustic and then goes into the, the electric part it's a great way to work into track four i agree with that unfortunately i wish i liked track four better <laughs> what do we got for track four the crunch this is a unique song this is a funky song that was the vibe they were going to and it got comparisons to james brown i hear it on the track robert plant is one of the great rock vocalists of all time this doesn't work at all for me he is not a james brown type singer but i don't feel like he's even really singing this i feel like he's trying to do that performance piece and not actually singing the melody i feel like he's hamming it up putting on a show the groove is okay it's a bit of an odd fit for this band, but this one, I have to agree with the naysayers. This is one of the weakest Zeppelin songs to me. This one just doesn't do it at all. I'm the other side of the coin on this one. This is one of the ones I used to jam to as a, as a young lad. And it to know the crunch, you got to under, no. <laughs> to know the crunch, you really got to realize what they were doing. And performance piece is a great way to put it. Bonham was really literally developing a beat that was in his words impossible to dance to and you can feel that and then in the same right like you you had touched on with plant doing the james brown excuse me will you excuse me my kids can tell you and my wife probably much to their chagrin 
I use where's that confounded bridge and then I'll just fill in whatever for bridge but I mean I grew up singing this around the house this was my jam this is one of those jams that could go on for a million years if they wanted it to and it didn't make sense and it was so jovial and, and i think that was one of the reasons i was really drawn to it other than it was a funky beast and it was something that i was always trying to imitate and play and and ne never really well i could never really <laughs> get the grunge down even though it's a jovial song it has a very high level of of musicianship inside it and they used to jam it in inside of different songs too in fact i believe that's the only time that it was ever played when they were performing live was just like in the middle of days confused or somewhere where it's slow and they just needed to funk it up a little bit but it was one of my faves and it's a great in my opinion, it's a great way to end an album side because literally the last thing you hear is, where's that confounded bridge? And then, boom, you're flipping to side B. But yeah, a, a nice tongue-in-cheek run by the boys. It, again, on an album where no one knew what to expect coming off four and this almost avant-garde thought process, this is one that stood out to me. Yeah, I read that it was used as a transition and I was a little... I hate to say it, appalled to see some of the songs that transition because I'm like, but those are so much better, those songs. <laughs> you can't deny that bass riff, like, oh my gosh, one of the greatest. <laughs> if I want funk, I will go elsewhere for it. I hear you. <laughs> but I do have one nice thing to say about this song. It's not actually about the song, but it's about another late 90s, early 2000s sitcom. We mentioned one of them last week, and this is another one. So that 70s show, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Most definitely. Starting in the fifth season, the show decided to name their episodes after songs by classic rock bands of the 70s. And season five featured episodes named after Led Zeppelin songs. Really? I, no, I did not know that. That's awesome. Yes. And uh, for Three songs on this album provided titles to episodes, but my favorite of the episodes named after a track on this album was the one named The Crunge. It was a pretty good one. It featured the gang taking their SATs and Eric got the lowest score out of all of them, including Michael Kelso. Oh, shit. <laughs> as funny as it sounds. <laughs> Why did they call it the crunch or just one of those off things like they're, you know, it wasn't had didn't have anything to do with bridges is what you're telling me. <laughs> I'd have to rewatch the episode. Some of them they did pretty well with synthesizing the theme. The Thanksgiving episode they did that year was titled Thank You. The season nice. finale where they graduated was titled Celebration Day. Nice. And from this album, an episode where they visited college, Eric and Hyde was called Over the Hills and Far Away. I love it. And uh, it worked. Season five, I think, was actually the last really strong season of that 70s show. That's a hot take. Other people still think it just went downhill after seven when Topher Grace left. But I'm telling you, it was two seasons earlier. There you go. You heard it here first. I've tried to make the point to people, but they just don't listen. Those people. The bands that those weaker seasons had songs named after were actually bands I like more than this one because they're all so iconic. Oh, wow. A, an ironic twist there. I don't, Like the worst season, season eight, has songs named after Queen. <laughs> and yeah, I like Queen better than Zeppelin because come on, it's Queen. Whew. Anybody you disagree out there hear, with that. <laughs> if anybody out there hears that sound, it's just my heart breaking inside my chest. 
<laughs> yeah, the other two are six and seven were six was the who and seven was the stones. I heard that. I'm guessing you like the Zeppelin the most out of all of them. Out of all four of those bands? Yeah. Oof. On the spot, he puts me. What do we say? Stones, the who, Queen. Oh, yeah, Zeppelin. Zeppelin reigns supreme overall. Oh. Out of that foursome. That's my hot take. For me, it's either Queen or the Stones, I'm afraid. Stones are up there. That's something we didn't touch on. But I mean, speaking of the Stones, the Zeppelin was having so much fun with their mobile recording studio. I'm, If I'm not mistaken, I got to go back and look at my notes. But they were recording at uh, Jagger's compound during this for, for House of the Holy, I believe. Wow. I'll look it up while we're talking, but I'm almost positive that was the deal. So um, this were- tangent about that 70s show might have actually been relevant. Yes. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> I was prepared to think oh, I'll have to edit all of this out, but we brought it back around. If that distracted you, I'm sorry. I just am very passionate about late 90s and early 2000s sitcoms and we'll go off on a tangent about them whenever I get a chance. There you go. And In case you haven't already noticed from last week's episode, I did it again even worse here. So, <laughs> But now that the tangent is done, so is side one and on to side two. What do we got? Dancing days. Dancing days. Where are you at on dancing days? I like this one. It has a sense of nostalgia in the lyrics, which I always love. And it rocks hard. I don't know if they intended to do this, but this is so perfectly in keeping with the 1970s era because nostalgia was a hot product. This was the year American Graffiti was released. Grease premiered on Broadway the year prior. Happy Days premiered the year afterwards. This is so fitting with that vibe and era that it elevates my appreciation of it. And it's just a straight ahead rock song. And not many bands did that better than Led Zeppelin circa 1973. Even if they were being more ambitious on other songs, this one showed hey, we can still do a straight ahead blues rock track and show you we can do it better than just about anyone. I agree. It was straightforward. It was clean is the word I like to use on dancing days. And especially for an opener for the the second side of the album, it was a very clean rock right off the jam. And this was actually the promotional song that Atlantic sent out for preview of the album in March of 73 as well. So this is the first one that everybody got a listen to. And I think it's a great strategy as well to open the second side of the album with this. Yeah, I know I said Zeppelin wasn't really a top 40 band. This was the B-side the over the hills and far away and i don't think this song is better than that but this one definitely would have been a top 40 hit at the very minimum if it were released as a single i think it is uh, one of the most pop radio friendly tracks on this album i could see this being sandwiched in between pop hits of 1973 it's heavier than most of them of course yeah but i could see it i could see it there I feel like between this, between Dancing Days and the next track on this album, they're your most poppy hits on this album. I, I agree with you there. And speaking of that next track, it was a pop hit. Dyer Maker or Jamaica. <laughs> it's right there. The, fo- the phonetic spelling has it as Jamaica. And this is one I learned. It's actually based on an old British joke. Yeah, my wife's going on holiday. Jamaica. No, she went of her own accord. 
And that's how it's spelled, you know, uh, exactly how it's spelled on the album. This was Bonham jamming out on some doo-wop and reggae inspirations. And the drums in this are my favorite drums that he did on this album. Followed closely second uh, by The Ocean. And we'll touch on that when we get there. But this one pops off, man. This is one of the ones that I think people who don't even know Zeppelin like that hear and they they jam to it. Yeah, this was an experiment that worked for me, unlike The Crunch. I've always enjoyed this song. I think Robert Plant sounds awesome on it. It's a truly heartfelt and raw vocal. The song is catchy, always gets stuck in your head. It made it up to number 20 on the Hot 100. Not hard to see why. It's very poppy in comparison to everything else here. I've always been a fan of this song. And uh, I can definitely see it being a precursor to many more reggae rock songs that came in the future because that became a bit of a subgenre thanks to most prominently The Police. But it was something that popped up. We even discussed it on Moving Pictures with Vital Signs. That had this vibe to it, but this is kind of a beginning of all that. Not sure anyone else did it quite better except maybe The Police, but that's a maybe. I would have to take a closer lesson. That's a really, really great uh, thought is, is this being the precursor for a lot more of this throughout the late 70s and into the 80s. Uh, that's, a, that's a really neat thought. That Lady Gaga rendition you sent to me of her early on, that was cool. And it also shows that this can be played by a three-piece, you know, with a competent drummer. It wasn't my favorite showing of her voice, but it was neat to see her do some Zeppelin and, and neat to see her earlier days too. Yeah, she did this as a cover in 2006, two years before her debut album came out. And uh, what I found most interesting about it is the performance style in its own way is still similar to what she's continued to do. The yeah. costumes are more outrageous, but she still has that crazy energy in her performances that you see in this small New York club. And it also shows that her turns towards country music and uh, even more straight ahead rock with the stars born weren't as out of left field as one might have thought because of a performance like this. Her roots are a bit different than where she ended up going, but she's far from the only pop star to have done that. We'll discuss some singers who did that. I mean, we did with the Go-Go's. For Christ's sake, Belinda Carlisle certainly did not continue to be a punk singer in her solo career ever. Another example of that. And this one I did not send you, but I found one of your music baby mamas, Cheryl Crow, did a cover of this song. There she is. There She didn't do it when I saw her live, but I would have loved to see that. Yeah, I checked it out and... uh, It was pretty good. Led Zeppelin's definitely not the first band I would imagine Sheryl Crow covering. I would expect more the Eagles or Fleetwood Mac coming from her, but it's actually a good cover and it definitely shows off her vocal chops quite well. That's awesome. (laughs) But I knew you'd want to know that because you love her. Gwen Stefani and Alicia Keys. No, he's putting it out there. My top three baby mamas of all time. Go on. Go on. We'll definitely have to discuss all of them at some point, I think, if they're your baby mamas. Most definitely. And Gaga. Of course, we're we're getting ahead of ourselves, but we're always brainstorming as we go through this. Just artists, period, that that really speak to us. We're going to touch on all of them. Yeah. Now, after Jamaica, we have No Quarter, the penultimate track. I want you to get started on this one. This is a heavy one. 
This is a heavy one. This is one that made me sit down from dancing to this album and really prepare myself to be blown away. I had said it earlier that I didn't really enjoy the synthesizer heaviness of physical graffiti, but as far as the synthesizers go in No Quarter, it's amazing. This song all the way through in its musicianship and its storytelling, you can imagine going along with this song uh, as it goes through, and it's definitely one that makes you sit back and enjoy it. Yeah, I was interested to find out that the title comes from war. It basically means no mercy. And I definitely hear that in the song. This is an intense song, but the best thing I can say about it, and for the other longer tracks on this album, I don't feel like it was a seven-minute song. Didn't feel like seven minutes at all. Went by very smoothly and nicely. I really enjoyed it. I do think the Sims. I mean, his Civ stuff can be a bit hit or miss. I'm not going to disagree with you on that. I still really enjoy this song. However, there is one preceding Zeppelin song this one's gotten a lot of comparisons to. Dazed and Confused. Heard. I don't think it's as good as Dazed and Confused. No. If, if you had to rank them, I would agree with you there. But this is still a really strong song, and it's a beloved song. I once saw a Zeppelin tribute band called No Quarter. I think that's not uncommon. Like you said, Plant and Page called their album No Quarter, which was kind of ironic considering John Paul Jones wasn't a part of it, and this is so much his song. Yeah, and, and it really is so much his song, too speaking of other bands play this one of the bands that i've devoted pieces of my soul time and experience to blew me away by debuting their cover of this at a festival that i was with my wife and my brother in virginia called lock-in and i had the chance to see fish do this and Paige mcconnell doing these the key work the synthesizer work on this was phenomenal uh they blew i, I had heard them do uh, other Zeppelin covers before, and this came out of left field and just blew us away. I got a chance to hear it two more times live so far. It's one of my favorite covers that Fish does, and that says a lot because there's a lot of cover work even hidden in their uh, in their live repertoire. Uh, but this was super cool. And I had the chance to be with my little brother and my wife, you know, two people that love Zeppelin almost as much as me. It, it was phenomenal. Oh, I'm sure if they do it again, I'm guessing you might have to record it for us so we can see I, it. I can find I, I'm pretty sure I can find that if I don't have the lock in version. I know I have them doing it live because I don't know if you know this, but with your ticket, you get the live recording of that night. So I've seen it three times. So it's it's definitely in the stash somewhere there. I'll pop it for you. It's good. As far as the vocals, Paige tries and does well. I mean, you to do plant, you know, to do plant at a young age is tough, period. It, it's, it's a huge undertaking. Is it the most uh, pristine vocal attempt that I've ever heard at it? No. But as far as them jamming it and him playing the keys on it, it was phenomenal. This is another one that like inside of the song remains the same. The, yeah, the this full... soundtracks his uh, um, fantasy sequence for John Paul Jones. And interestingly, the song remains the same in the Rain song sequence, Robert Plant's fantasy. Yep. I don't really care that much about the fantasy sequences in that movie. I don't think I'm alone there. If you're listening and you've never seen and or heard the song remains the same, 
I implore you to check it out. It's a once in a lifetime sort of cut there and, and really enjoyable. Most definitely. And now we have the final track on the album, The Ocean, one you mentioned before. This is a straight ahead blues rocker, The Ocean referring to the sea of fans present at Zeppelin's concerts. I love this track. This is an awesome straight ahead rocker. And I love that they ended the album with this because it follows the album's most experimental track, No Quarter, by showing, hey, we're still a blues rock band and we can still do it better than any of you. So here's the ocean. Yep, it, it, perfectly put. I mean, they they put their stamp on it right at the end of the album and said, by the way, we're still Zeppelin. Here you go. I always love the ocean because the riff is shared by Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones. So there, if you listen, there's not a traditional bass riff. There's not a traditional backing bass. John Paul Jones is right with Jimmy Page for, I'll say, 96% of the song, um, which is, is super unique. You know, we get to hear the boys do a little acapella uh, work inside, which is pretty cool, too. I love that breakdown. And it's another, uh, you know, shout at that doo-wop style that they were trying to uh, reference on this album. The Ocean, man. <sighs> I've listened to it a million and one times, and it never gets old. Yeah. I never knew it was about the fans until looking into this album, though. That's super cool. It was interesting. I mentioned a Zeppelin tribute band called No Quarter. I saw this band a few years ago. I won the tickets, which was pretty cool. And it was sponsored by DC's Classic Rock Station. And one of the guys said this was the song that got him into Zeppelin, one of the DJs at the station. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. That's not the first answer you'd expect, but it's an awesome song. I can totally see why. This is another one Hart did a kick-ass cover of. They did it on tour with Jason Bonham, elevating it even more. Nice. That's sick. I can, I can only imagine. That sounds awesome. Yep. So, what a great way to end the album. That's it. That, that's, that's how you do it. Most definitely. I think I know what your grade for the album is. Oh, man. Uh, everybody's going to expect me to say A-plus on this. I'm giving it an A. I'm looking for that white whale out there while we're going through these albums for an A+. Um, yeah, this is A all the way. You've got the musicianship. You've got this avant-garde mindset going in. It's a new take on new styles from Zeppelin. And it's something that, in my opinion, has never lost a step throughout the years. Uh, I can only say it a million times. One of my favorite albums of all time. I'm going to go with B+. The crunch does bring it down a bit for me. I'm not going to lie. And I appreciate this album so much, but it's not always uh, just in the scheme of Led Zeppelin. If I'm in the mood for it, it's not going to be my go-to. Zeppelin 4 will be, I really do think Zeppelin is at their best when they're just at the pure gritty bluesy sound. And this is a bit of a departure from that. So while I still appreciate it, I don't think it's always what this band does best for me, but there are others who love this album a lot. I love it, but just not as much as others, but it is your favorite by him. And I was hanging out with uh, my friend Dave last night and he said, oh, that's Zeppelin's best album. When I told him we were doing this Houses of the Holy, I thought, well, you and Corey both are on that <laughs> team. I'm on the basic team of Zeppelin 4 is the best, but... This is still a good one and better than ones that followed, I would say. There you go. What's your favorite on this one? Over the Hills and Far Away. 
Ooh, you join me. I, that might be the first time we both said the same track for our favorite. For so many different reasons for me. I mean, I mean the song alone, but it also embodies almost every memory I have about this album. I mean, it's just a perfect rock song. Super well played. I love the screaming vocals on it. I just love Robert Plant. Honestly, back in the day, too, quite sexy in my opinion. He's a killer. He's a killer, you know? He was out there showing the chest, wearing the tight pants, getting it done with the best of them. And singing like the best of them. That just makes him sexier to me. Not That's now, true. of course. He's 73. Definitely not what I'd go for. But, oh, yes, Robert Plant. I just love his whole vibe. Yeah, man, you're, you are not alone. You are not alone. Many out there that have chased the old plant for, for years upon years. Yes, this was a really fun one to discuss. I'm glad we got to do this one. Me too, me too. That Our first Zeppelin uh, sit down, maybe not our last, but we'll see how, how it goes. It definitely was super fun to talk about this album with you. Yeah. Thank you for, for joining me on this journey. Yeah, I don't know when Zeppelin would come up again next, certainly not in the 80s, probably, unless we decided to do Coda, but no, I'm thinking no. we're not going to. I wouldn't see us. Maybe if it was a request, but you know, who knows when it'll pop back up. Probably yes. in our like sixth year of doing the podcast <laughs> where we're just busting down, you know. <laughs> Eventually, if you all want to hear us do more Zeppelin, let us know. Let us let know. us know. Let us know. Because this was a fun one. But in the meantime, we will be taking a detour going five years into the 70s next week and back to the new wave sound of the Go-Go's a bit with the Cars, their self-titled debut album. This is an iconic one. I can't wait to discuss this one. These are songs I've known for a long time. So I have quite a bit of nostalgia for this one. And this was one that was in my father's record collection. He didn't have Zeppelin, but he did have the cars. So yeah, I'm excited about this one. Yeah, this one's not one that I know every track on. So it's going to be a cool one. I always get excited about listening to the ones that I don't, I haven't listened to a million times over. So it's going to be cool. It's hard for me to imagine a time in my life not knowing these songs, but This is still a really awesome, iconic album. Can't wait to dive into it. But before we leave the 70s, for the last episode of the month, we want to hear from you. So we'll once again be doing a poll that I will have up with this episode so we can know ahead of time by the time we record the Cars episode what we'll be doing following. The options for the poll are Paul McCartney and Wings' Band on the Run, a suggestion from one of our listeners, aka my mom. Number two is Elvis Presley's On Stage February 1970. I still haven't seen that Elvis movie. I really want to, though. Heard that. Track number... Pick number three, I'm sorry, is Talking Heads' Fear of Music, which was one of your runner-ups from the 70s that you didn't decide on. Yes, And uh, number four for picks is Kate Bush's debut album, The Kick Inside, because she is extremely, extremely popular right now because of a little show called Stranger Things. So (laughs) curious if people want to hear a dive into her discography. But we shall see. Definitely vote in the poll should be available on both Spotify and Instagram. Hopefully there won't be a tie. If there is, we'll figure out what to do. We'll have both albums fight to the death. Yes. That's how we do. Album death match. <laughs> That's coming to a podcast near you guys. <laughs> Don't think we forgot about that one. <laughs> no, album death match. No, 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 no. <laughs> 
But if you want to hear more about that and what we'll be doing next, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Turntables and Tea Podcast and subscribe to us wherever you're listening, whether it be Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Amazon. We're on all of them and a few others too. So be sure to listen, rate and review it and tell all your friends. And in the meantime, we will be seeing you next week to talk about some hits from the cars. Adios, amigos. Peace.